Hello and welcome to this episode of Eastman's Predator Pros. I am your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you. It's been a pretty exciting last couple weeks. Um, I've had a chance to, to get on and record one of these uh, in the last probably three weeks. Had lots of guided hunts, coyote schools, uh, even had a contest thrown in there. So uh, the coyotes have been hitting the dirt. It's, season's off to a great start. Um, but uh, today I wanted to get into the you know, kind of what I call a meat and potatoes episode. Not going to be a whole lot of stories and, you know, fun, you know, entertaining things like that, but this is really going to hopefully give you uh, just, you know, when it comes to tips and tactics, you know, this is this is where it's at, you know, and we're going to specifically talk about sound selections and sound sequences and, and how long am I playing particular sounds for and all the reasoning behind that. Um, at all the questions I get on social media and emails and things like that. This is one of the the big ones I get. So I figured early on in this podcast series, it would be great to to throw this out there to you and and essentially hopefully give you the whole, you know, coyote season that's ahead of us to use and put to use and and see how you can make it work for you. But before we get going, I need to thank the sponsor of this episode, which is Sig Sauer Optics. Now, if you've followed me for a while, you probably think, well, Sig Sauer Optics, I thought Jeff shot loophole. And, you know, I have. I've shot loophole scopes for, for a long time, um, but, you know, the nature of this podcast, it, it takes sponsors. It takes time and money to bring this to you guys, um, and ultimately Sig Sauer, you know, stepped up and said, you know what, we we love the idea of what you're doing. We love the fact that you're, you know, making people better coyote hunters. You're, you're bringing this to everybody. We want to be part of it. So, um, you know, I was, I was excited to have them as part of it. Uh, wasn't real familiar with what they offered for optics. So, you know, once these conversations started happening, I got to looking, you know, on their website and, you know, I was pretty blown away with the technology they offer in their, in their optics, you know, their scopes, their range finders, their range finder binoculars. Um, I think it's going to be an exceptional tool, especially for me when it comes to shooting coyotes, you know, I do shoot some coyotes out there, you know, four or 500 yards, you know, the coyotes that, you know, hang up and just won't come any closer, you know, being able to kill coyotes out that far, is important, I think. So, um, the way this Bluetooth technology works in all these six hour optics, um, you know, it, it, it's a signal basically between your scope and your rangefinder, your rangefinder binoculars. And, uh, you know, before you head to the field, you, you get onto their app, you enter all your ballistic information about your rifle and your bullet and your things, you know, everything that goes with that. And then once you go out and everything's set up, once I shoot a range with my rangefinder binoculars, instantaneously a red dot, a holdover dot, will come up on my vertical crosshair, meaning, you know, it'll be below the horizontal line, and that will be the dot where I hold the crosshair to make that shot at that distance. So it's going to be super fast. You know, my old system, I would have to shoot a range. I'd have to spin the dial to four or 500 yards, then get in the scope and, and make the shot. Now I essentially just have to shoot the range, go directly right to the scope, and the dot will be there. Um, all ballistically calculated, ready to go. So I haven't got anything yet uh, with all the shipping delays and things that are going on right now. It may be a while before I get uh, anything, but definitely excited to put it to use and uh, tell you guys all about it when uh, when I do get my hands on it. So thanks, Sig Sour Optics, for uh, sponsoring this episode. So now to get into uh, you know the meat and potatoes of this, we're talking about sounds and sound selections. Now, most of you, I'm sure, that are listening to this have, have an e-call of some kind. You know, in this day and age, it's hard to find somebody that doesn't have an e-call. Um, and, you know, hopefully you're running a Lucky Duck, but you may be running a different brand. But regardless of whatever brand you're running, 
um, you know, you your call probably came with anywhere from 50 to 150 sounds, maybe even upwards of 200 sounds. Like the, the new Super Revolt coming out by Lucky Duck, it's going to come with 200 sounds. You know, if you run the Revolt or the, um, you know, call like that, it's coming with 100. Um, but, you know, what I like to tell people is this. No matter how many sounds are on your call right now, you can categorize those into three categories. And they are these. Category number one is all your prey distress sounds. These are your jackrabbits, your cottontails, your bird sounds, your rodent sounds, uh, livestock distresses, big game distresses. Essentially anything that a coyote's going to want to come in and eat, we're going to throw that under category number one, which is prey distress sounds. Now, category number two, coyote vocalizations. Now, I don't want to confuse people here because a lot of people refer to coyote vocals as any coyote sound there is. I don't put it that way. To me, when I say coyote-based sounds, that is essentially any sound that a coyote makes. That may be a coyote howl. That may be a pup distress. That may be a coyote fight. That may be a breeding sound, okay? So generally speaking, I'll say coyote-based sounds. But when I say coyote vocalizations or coyote vocals, I'm referring to a howling coyote or multiple howling coyotes. Now, that could be a, a lone howl. It could be an interrogation howl. It could be a challenge howl. It could be a serenade, which is multiple coyotes howling. You know, it could be young pup coyotes. It could be old coyotes. Um, Any time a coyote or two or three or four coyotes are howling, I'm going to throw that sound into the coyote vocalizations. Now, the third category is the rest of all those coyote-based sounds. Your coyote fights, your pup distresses, and your coyote breeding sounds. That's category number three. So, in an ideal world, on your e-call, if you have the chance to pick sounds, for example, let's say you order an e-call and it lets you go through and pick the hundred sounds that you want. Ideally, you would want a third prey distress sounds, you would want a third coyote vocalizations, and you would want a third of the coyote fights, the pup distresses, and the breeding sounds. Okay, That would give you the biggest selection of sounds possible on that call. You know, In today's market, at least when I started working with Lucky Duck, one of the problems I had with, with some of the other manufacturers out there was the sound libraries were extremely top-heavy on prey distress sounds, meaning out of 100 sounds, you may have 60 or 70 prey distress sounds and only 30 of the coyote vocals and the rest of those coyote bass sounds. And, you know, knowing what I know now, um, you know, it has to do with collection of those sounds. And, and the, collecting prey distress sounds is much easier than collecting high-quality coyote-based sounds. And that's really where Rick Paletta shined with his sound library that you find on the Lucky Duck calls is the ability he has had and has to collect the high-quality coyote-based sounds. And so essentially on a, on a Lucky Duck call, you're going to get roughly a third of each, um, which which is what you want to, want to have, which will give you the biggest amount of options when you get out there and start pushing play. So now that we've laid out those three sound categories, all right, and I'm sure in your mind you're thinking right now, you know, everybody has their own, their favorite sounds that they play, and I'm sure now, if you've never thought of it that way, I'm sure now you can start to say, okay, oh yeah, that sound I like to play, oh, that would fall in the prey distress, and oh, this other one I like to play, it plays, you know, would fall into that pup distress or coyote fight, you know, category, or oh, this one plays in the vocals, all right, so I'm, I'm sure the wheels are turning already, and, and you're seeing, you know, where those sounds that you're familiar with, you know, fall into in each of those three categories. Now, to take this one step further, let's look at the four reasons or the four categories why coyotes come to the call, 
All right. What I refer to them as triggers sometimes. What are we triggering within that coyote to make them want to come to the sound? All right. Now, you you could probably maybe make more categories than four, I'm guessing. And, uh, you know, I've always kept it to four just out of simplicity a little bit more than anything, just, just so people can understand the theory and the concept behind this. So the first category is hunger. Probably the most obvious. We're playing the rabbit. We're ringing the dinner bell. The coyote's hungry. It's January. There's snow in the, and the coyote's run under the call. Okay. Hunger, number one. Number two, curiosity. Curiosity kills more than just cats. It kills lots of coyotes, I think, too. You know, I think a lot of times coyotes might not necessarily be hungry. They might not be extremely aggressive. They're just, hey, you know, it's, wonder what's making that sound. Let's go check it out. I think those are the coyotes that come, you know, diddy bopping in, not, you know, not real aggressive. You know, you may consider it more of a cautious, sneaky coyote. To me, those might just be curious coyotes, you know. You're just not triggering anything aggressive in them, but they are responding for that uh, reason of curiosity. The third category, territorial. I'm sure a lot of you probably thought about this one before, um, you know, especially later on in the season. You know, we talk about that coyote life cycle and coyotes are pairing up. They become more territorial. They are establishing a territory and they don't want any other coyotes in there. I think there's some other aspects to that territorial instinct. Um, I think if, if you have a lot of coyotes in an area and, you know, let's say you're playing a, a wounded rabbit sound, and coyote A knows that coyote B is somewhere in that area, coyote A may take off running harder harder the call just because he thinks he has to beat coyote B there. Um, I think that's kind of a territorial response. Not that that coyote's so hungry that he's sprinting to the call. I think it's the fact that he's just trying to beat other coyotes there. And some may think, okay, that's kind of a greedy aspect as well. You know, I think greed is, is a big one. You know, I think coyotes are a greedy animal. Um, you know, so I think greed could possibly, you know, kind of be a, su- a little sub-drop-off category of territorial, you know, if you really wanted to put, it, you know, put another one on there. Now, that fourth category, and, and this is one I've thought about for a long, long time, and and I don't know if I ever have, you know, my, the name I have with it maybe not be, might not be the best, but I'm going to call it kind of that parental or social response trigger, okay? And what I mean by that is this, you know, in an earlier episode, I talked about you know early season tactics, and I talked about the coyote life cycle. And if you understand that coyote life cycle, you know by nature coyotes are you know independent, solitary animals. Okay, um, they're not pack animals like wolves. But during certain portions of the year, the the coyotes do have this family dynamic. You know, when when a pair of coyotes have some pups, it's kind of a, a family for a while, and you know they keep this family together you know, for four or five months, and then pretty soon the pups are big enough and they start dispersing out, and then maybe even mom and dad split, and they go separate ways, and now they're all kind of back to being alone, you know, individual coyotes again. But during that time, I think they develop certain bonds and things that, that uh, you know, are instinctual, and, and that parental and social trigger is, is really what we're talking about when, when it comes to that. So now to kind of lay this back out for you again so you can start visualizing it. So you know, if you took a piece of paper, you'd have three circles up top and you'd have prey distress written in one. You'd have coyote vocals written in the second one. And over on the third one, you'd have coyote fights, coyote pup distresses and breeding sounds. Now underneath, you would have four circles and the left circle would say hunger. The second circle would say curiosity. The third circle territorial and the fourth would say parental social. 
So now we can start connecting the dots. All right, we can start drawing lines. So essentially, if I play a prey distress sound, which one of those triggers uh, am I hoping to invoke a response out of? So obviously, the you know with prey distress, I'm triggering a hung, hunger instinct. I can also trigger a curiosity instinct. And like I mentioned earlier, I think you can trigger that territorial instinct as well. Just if there's a lot of coyotes in the area, they're kind of racing just to be the first one there. Now with coyote vocals, obviously you're not you're not triggering a hunger response, so that one doesn't get a line over to it. But it, you know you could trigger a curiosity response, and you could trigger a territorial response. Now some may argue that you could trigger some sort of parental response. Um, you know if those coyotes are used to you know communicating with each other in some way, and then now they're dispersing out, they may use some coyote vocals to to get back with each other. I don't look at it quite that much into that much depth, but you know you could possibly draw, let's say, a dotted line over to that one. Now, that third category, coyote fights, pup distresses, and breeding sounds. Obviously, curiosity, you know, curiosity is the main one. I think triggers all, you know, could relate back to all three sound categories. Territorial is another one I think that can relate back to all three. But the main one that that sound category of coyote fights, pup distresses, and breeding sounds triggers is that parental and social instinct. Now, you know, over the years, you know, of me developing these theories, and, and that's really what they are. I mean, anything in coyote hunting is essentially a theory. I really wish there was a way that we could prove a lot of this. Um, and ultimately, there's just not. I mean, there's no way we could ever have a crystal ball where we could see that coyote that's out there at four or 500 yards, you know, that we can't see from sitting on stand exactly what that coyote's doing, you know. So really, in coyote hunting, I feel like, you know, we we have all these theories, and everybody has their own theories. And all these theories are based off a very, very small sample size. Maybe a few things we've seen over the years, and now we've developed these big, broad theories based off just a couple small things we've seen. You know, so, you know, for this category, I go back a long time. You know, and, and way back in the in the world of coyote hunting, before before e-calls were even around, okay, and, and guys used nothing but hand calls. And at some point, some guy on a hand call decided that a kayai affected coyotes different than him just blowing it like a wounded rabbit. And anybody that knows anything about kayais, maybe you don't, you know, you can take an open read call and you can kind of make a, a squealing kind of yip, 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 yip kind of sound on a call to sound like kind of like a wounded coyote, you know, pup distress kind of sound. So at some point, you know, whether it was 50, 60, 80 years ago, I don't know how long this was. Some guy, you know, was the inventor of the kayai and decided that, you know, this is this is a sound that affects these coyotes a little bit different than just the old rabbit squall. And, you know, over the years, you know, people started using this and the word spread, I think. And they realized that it's a pretty effective technique, a pretty effective way to, to call in coyotes, especially maybe after you've shot at a coyote. You know, maybe a pair of coyotes came in and you shot the first one and the second one's running off, um, you know, that's one of the first things. If you probably read some literature or something like that, you've probably came across that, that after you shoot a coyote, you know, the first thing you should play is a on your hand call is a coyote or go to some sort of pup distress. And over the years, you know, through these these small sample sizes, you know, guys have switched to a coyote in this coyote that either just got shot at, maybe just watched his buddy get smoked right beside him and he's running for his life. All of a sudden, you switch to this coyote and this something tr different triggers within that coyote and causes them to, I've seen coyotes, you know, do a 180 and kind of loop and come running right back in. 
I've seen them duck into the cover, and then pretty soon they pop out and they come running back out. Um, and that's not every coyote, but I've seen it happen more times than not to think that, you know, this is a different trigger within these coyotes. And, and that's where I've come up with this parental or this social trigger. Uh, it's very powerful. To me, it's one of the probably out of all the four triggers, it's the most powerful, meaning I don't think coyotes, you know, c- control it as much. Meaning if if you have a smarter, educated, more pressured coyote, I think their brain, they're just smart. They know that can can override their stomach, for example. Meaning if they're, I don't care how hungry that coyote is, if he hears the wounded rabbit and he's been educated or pressured to some extent, I think that coyote's brain is going to override his stomach. And he's going to be like, no, I'm not falling for that again. But when you start making triggers from the territorial and especially this parental and social trigger group, you're triggering something within inside that coyote's brain that they just, I think they have a hard time controlling no matter how smart, how pressured, whatever it may be, you're triggering something different and you get a different response out of there. So, so keep that in mind. So ultimately the, the plan is when I sit down on stand and I play a variety of sounds and, and just to give you a, a, a quick idea, you know, I'm, I never play less than probably three different sounds every stand I make. Some stands I'll play upwards of of five or six different sounds. And in a minute, I'm going to get into, you know, how long specifically am I playing each one of those sounds. But, but the, the moral of the story is here, when you're playing different sounds on stand, I want to jump from category to category when I switch sounds. I don't want to really stay within the same category. And this, this is the reason why. Let's just say there's, there's a, a coyote out in front of us. We don't know that there's this coyote there. We're hoping there's a coyote there, but there is a coyote there. And I start off by playing a cottontail distress sound for four minutes. Okay. We know that cottontail falls within the prey distress category. And essentially we're, we're hoping to really key on the hunger, you know, more likely the in the curiosity, possibly that territorial response with a, with a, a prey distress sound. So for whatever reason, this coyote hears this cottontail sound out there but the coyote's not hungry. He's not curious. We're just not triggering any of those responses within that coyote. So after three or four minutes, I switch and I say, you know, I'm going to play a, a bird distress. So now I go into a sound like lucky pecker. Well, what category does lucky pecker fall in? Same exact category, right? So it triggers the same exact response. So more than likely, the coyote that wasn't interested in the cottontail that didn't trigger the hunger, curiosity, or territory response, playing that lucky pecker from the prey distress category is not going to trigger a hunger, curiosity, or territorial response from that coyote. So essentially, in my mind, I've just wasted three or four minutes playing a sound that, you know, should have triggered something, the sound before, because it comes from the same category. So when I switch up sounds, I'm switching categories. So now, when I get done playing cottontail, I go to a sound over in the pup distress category, coyote fight sound, of the lucky duck, for example, like uh, pup chaos, let's say. So I go to pup chaos. Now that same coyote that wasn't hungry, that wasn't curious, maybe wasn't territorial, now I have the chance of invoking that parental or social trigger. And now that coyote that wasn't, all of a sudden I trigger that fourth instinct and here that coyote comes, here he responds to the call, and I shoot that coyote. So keep that in mind. When you're when you're bouncing within a, within a stand from sound to sound, we're switching category to category. Now, the order of those categories can vary greatly, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll relate that back to the coyote life cycle and the time of year. You know, if it's early in the season, 
Um, you know, you you just understand that you know rough, roughly 50, maybe upwards of 70 percent of the coyotes out there that you're calling in are going to be those five, six, seven month old coyote pups. You know, as we get later in the season, you know, you just understand the dynamic that now these coyotes have been hunted pretty hard. They've been pressured. They've been chased around. They've been shot at. Um, you know, a lot of the maybe the more aggressive or even the stupider coyotes are dead now. Um, now we're dealing with the smarter, less aggressive things, you know, the coyotes that are still out there. Um, but lucky for us, like we talked about with that coyote life cycle, come January, you know, they're starting to pair up. They're becoming more aggressive. Now those coyote pups are now nine, ten months old, um, which means they're just going to be naturally more aggressive. Um, so now, you know, I can maybe use some of those, you know, more aggressive sounds. Now, I want to back up a little bit, too, and talk about the aggression scale within each of these categories. This is something important to, to consider. So with each, if you take the prey distress category, you have an aggression scale within there. You have less aggressive and more aggressive. So a less aggressive sound in the prey distress category would be a sound like uh, stinky rat or prairie dog distress or baby cottontail demise, a real high-pitched, squeaky, more of a rodent bass sound. Now, what I would consider your more aggressive bass sounds are your high, you know, your growly, loud jackrabbit sounds. You know, even some of your cottontails like TNT sounds like that 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 are just growlier, more aggressive. You you just can naturally hear that in those sounds. Those are the more aggressive. Now, if you go to your coyote vocal category, um, you know, should be pretty self-explanatory. Less aggressive is going to be those lone pup howls. Um, there's a high-pitched female howl in there I use a lot called Sookie 01 Long Howl. Um, there's another one called Smoke Long Howl. You know, just a high-pitched female, you know, pup howl. Those are going to be your less aggressive. Now, when you go to the more aggressive side of the scale on the coyote vocals, now you're looking into probably some of the serenades like Psycho Serenade, uh, the pear howl where you get kind of a deep male in there howling, maybe an older female, even some of the challenge howls maybe more aggressive. Now, as you move over into that third category, the coyote fives, pup stresses, breeding sounds, um, you have some less aggressive sounds, probably a lot of the squeaky pup sounds like pup chaos, um, peewee loco, uh, just the pup distress number nine, even like breeding sounds like the female whimpers and things I think would be over on the less aggressive. And then as you move across the scale there, you get over into the very, very aggressive, you get sounds like coyote coon fight, uh, fight club, um, you know, there's, I think there's one called breeding threesome. Uh, you know, there's some really knockdown drag out fights, lots of deep growling and yelping and, you know, just, you know, you can just tell that it's, that's the more aggressive sound. So keep that in mind when, when you're going from category to category as well, as a general rule of thumb, I'll start a standoff less aggressive. And by the time I end that stand, I want to be as most aggressive as I possibly can. Therefore, I'm covering the entire spectrum of, of possible coyotes out there that, that are wanting to come to the call. And why I start less aggressive is, is for the simple fact that I just assume that, you know, the coyote that may be out there may be just a little wuss coyote, a little less aggressive, you know, coyote. And I don't want to scare that coyote off by playing a, a more aggressive sound. And then knowing that some of those more aggressive, maybe older coyotes could possibly be some of the smarter, more pressured coyotes. And by the time the stand ends, I'm, I'm keying on that. I'm playing more aggressive to maybe trigger those coyotes that maybe those older, smarter, pressured coyotes, whatever you want to call them, that sat out there for six, eight, ten minutes and listened to the whole sequence I played so far. Then all of a sudden I play one of those more aggressive sounds towards the end, and that's the sound that finally triggers that response in that coyote, uh, and, they were, and they come to the call. 
So keep all that in mind. Um, so, you know, to back up a little bit, we're jumping from category to category, okay? And we're also thinking about that aggression scale in there. Now, there's no set way to do this. I mean, I'm, you know, there's not a set formula that says, hey, you have to start in the prey distress sound, and then you and then you have to go to the pup distress, and then maybe back to the prey, and then you got to go back to the pup distress, or you have to start with a coyote vocal and then go into a prey distress. There's no set way in that, you know, and I don't really have a set formula that I use. It's just kind of a feel thing for me. Um, you know, a lot of times early on in the season, I will start with more prey st- stuff just because, you know, I know that the coyote population is, is mostly pups, especially as we get into November. A lot of the food sources now are going away. You know, we're finally starting to get some winter. We've had some freezes. Um, all the easy food sources that these, these pup coyotes and other coyotes have been living off of are going away. And essentially they have to start meat hunting is what I call it. You know, they're going to have to start catching you know, voles and digging up mice and catching rabbits and birds and things like that. They can't just walk around eating grasshoppers and lizards and snakes and frogs and fruit and and cactus blossoms and things like that. So, um, and then as we progress throughout the season, I know that the dynamic is changing. We're getting into that breeding season. Coyotes are becoming more territorial. I also know that the coyotes have been pressured a little bit. So I may scratch the entire prey distress category completely. I may play, I may sit down for a 10, 12, 15 minute stand and do nothing but sounds from the, the coyote fight, pup distress and breeding category and the coyote vocals category. And there are sometimes I will do nothing but the pup distress and coyote fight category as well, you know, depending on the situation. So keep that in mind that that you don't always have to play rabbit. I think it's hard for people to say, you know, it just doesn't feel like a coyote stand if I don't play at least a wounded rabbit, you know, at some point, you know. I've I've killed tons and tons of coyotes over the years where I never played rabbit, bird, anything on a stand. And and you're you know, you're keying on different things. And it's just understanding how that all sets up and how that all plays out. So now that we uh now that we talked about these categories and these triggers I want to go into one last last bit of information for you guys on this podcast, and that's about time. How long am I playing sounds for? You know, and that kind of and and when I talked about playing multiple sounds throughout, you know, a stand, that's essentially a sound sequence. Okay, so how long am I am I playing these sounds, and and how long are these sound sequences playing out? Which essentially is your time on stand. So a long time ago. I thought, you know what, uh, when it comes to teaching in my, in my schools and, and doing seminars and things like that, I thought, you know, there has to be a way to, uh, you know, interpret this information so people can understand it. You know, in my, in my brain, it's, it's simple, you know, of why I do what I do, but I had to come up with a way to, to translate this so that, you know, people could understand why I do what I do. So I came up with a pretty simple math equation, you know, and, and I'm sure you're cringing now when I'm talking math equations. But this is essentially like, you know, back in junior high and you had the the equation of, you know, train A leaves the so-and-so at the so-and-so time and train B leaves here and what time do they cross paths, you know. It's essentially a, a, a story problem like that. And and this this is the this is the math equation that I base a lot of things off of. And and before I give you that, I want to I want to set a couple ground you know, rules here, not really ground rules, but, uh, you know, some information to how I base this off of. So we know that, you know, coyotes uh, on a dead sprint, coyotes are probably going 40, 43 miles an hour. Okay. But we know that most coyotes aren't coming to the call on a dead sprint. Um, even if they come on a really good run, they're probably going 25 miles an hour. But 
I want to, I'm trying to find an average, the average coyote coming to the call. And I know coyotes probably walk probably four or five miles an hour. So I think I always thought to myself, okay, what's somewhere in between there? So just for the simplicity of the math equation, I just, I settled on 10 miles an hour, which is probably an understatement as far as how fast coyotes are responding to the call. But I figured 10 miles an hour is just a good trot coyote, you know, the pace of a, a trot, the coyotes coming to the call, not stopping, just coming to the trot. So we're going to use 10 miles an hour. So the, the equation is this. If a coyote hears the call and likes what he hears and he approaches the call on a 10-mile-an-hour trot, how long does it take that coyote to travel one mile? The answer, six minutes. Now, what we know off this is, th- is that coyote, more times than not, coyotes are not coming from a mile. Um, yep, if you if you called some big country over the years, you have probably seen coyotes come from farther than a mile if your visibility allowed you. But more times than not, I feel coyotes are coming probably closer to the 800 and under mark, which is a half mile. So if we know that a coyote on a 10-mile-an-hour trot can cover one mile in six minutes, a coyote should be able to travel a half mile in three minutes. So that's really that three to six minutes is really what I base all of my time of playing one particular sound on. So meaning this, if I'm playing sound A from whatever category, it doesn't matter, and that coyote likes that sound and makes an approach to my stand, within three to five, six minutes tops, I should either see that coyote, shoot that coyote, miss that coyote, whatever. Because in three to six minutes on a 10 mile an hour trot, he should be able to cover that distance to the call. So any time past that five to six minute mark that I'm playing that same sound, in my mind, that is a waste of time. I'm wasting time on stand. Because if that was a sound that Coyote liked, I should have seen him within that three to six minute mark. So that is the point when I go to switching sounds. I go Now I'm switching from sound A to sound B. And now sound B may come from, you know, I may switch over to one of those other categories like I talked about, okay? So now I'm playing sound B for another three to six minutes. And if that coyote that was out there that didn't care about sound A now all of a sudden responds to sound B, I should see that coyote within three to six minutes. Now, there are some other factors in there um, that that I consider. You know, um, a lot of times in coyote hunting, there's a lot of different variables you got to sort through. And it's really just you making an educated guess of of what you want to do and how you want to go about it. Um, But I'll look at things like time of day. If it's early in the morning, late in the day, I know that coyotes are just naturally up on the move. And, and any time a coyote's naturally up on the move, there's a better chance that that coyote's going to come from a farther distance. Okay? Now, if it's the middle part of the day, the coyotes are more than likely laid up. They're bedded up, taking a little nap. They're not going to want to respond. They're not going to want to come from as far. So maybe I might shorten that time down a little bit. Now, the train and the cover... That has uh, has a lot to do with it, you know. If it's a, if it's pretty wide open country and I can see quite a ways, you know, I may shorten those down a little bit just because I can see out there quite a ways to see if anything's coming or not. You know, the tighter the train, the thicker the, the cover is. You know, I may I may extend those times out towards that, you know, more towards the six minute mark per sound, just because I can't see if anything's coming. Um, you know, and then obviously wind speed is another one. If if the wind's blowing a lot. Um, you know, I just know that naturally my sound's not traveling out as far. Um, and just usually when it's real windy, the coyotes are laid up. They're bedded up. They're not wanting to move a lot anyway. And vice versa. You know, it's pretty crisp, clear, you know, calm sort of conditions. You know, then I know my sound's traveling out there quite a ways. 
And, uh, you know, the coyotes may hear it from out there a long ways and, and I may hit the right trigger and we may get a coyote coming from a mile or even further. So those are all the little variables that I'll put into that. And that'll kind of give me, you know, if I give you the basis of three to six minutes using those variables should, should be able to, you know, if you use those variables, you'll be able to determine, okay, am I need to play the sound closer to the three minute mark or closer to the six minute mark using those other variables. But that's really, you know, and you, as you go through that process, um, you know, starting out less aggressive, more aggressive, I, you know, by the time I get to my third sound, you know, I may be somewhere up in that 10 to 12 minute mark when I finish it. Um, and at that point, you know, you have to determine, you know, based off the stand, you know, all these other variables that we're looking at, you know, do I think at this point now, have I covered everything that I'm hoping to cover? Um, and if so, then that means it's time to, you know, hit stop and pack up and head to the next stand. But if you get to that 10 or 12 minute mark after that third, third sound and you say, you know what, I, I feel like there's still maybe some more to do. I got in a couple other sounds I want to try. Maybe, you know, maybe more aggressive out of one category or less, you know, then so now you're extending your stand out to maybe that 15 or even 18 minute mark. Um, you know, then at that point, you're probably have exhausted all options and hopefully, you know, you're packing up and, and heading to the next spot. Now, when it comes to, you know, these, these time on stands, I've been a big believer in, in part of just the way I do things is, is kind of what I would call a run and gun approach. Um, you know, I'm looking for coyotes that, that are, that, that are responding, you know, within the first sound or two, you know, I'm not really trying to key on these smart, sneaky coyotes that I might have to play, you know, six different sounds and this coyote's going to sneak in and he's going to stop and he's going to sit down and then he's going to come to the call uh, you know, I'm not wanting those coyotes. Um, you know, so I'm I'm running gunning. I'm making these 10, 12, 14, 15 minute stands tops, um, hoping to hoping to lay a sound on, on a set of ears, you know, that are motivated and want to come to the call. As I'm doing this, I'm covering all the sound categories. I'm covering less aggressive to more aggressive. And basically when I leave that stand, I'm thinking to myself, well, there just wasn't a coyote there, or it was just one of these coyotes that could give, you know, could care less of what I played, he's just not coming regardless. So it's time to go find some new coyotes instead of sitting there trying, hoping that, you know, I maybe find one sound that that does, you know, bring in this coyote. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the theory of, of playing multiple sounds, you know, and how this sound category, you know, comes in. So, you know, over the years, you know, I've seen this probably, you know, probably well over 20 times. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but a lot of times if you're hunting an area where you have visibility, you know, you'll see coyotes that'll come in and check up. And when I mean by check up, they'll stop. They just hang up out there. They'll get to a point where they can see everything. And it's, for whatever reason, they just don't want to come any closer. And, you know, over the years of trying different things, um, you know, it came to a point where I would just start playing sounds. I would, I would play one sound for maybe 15 or 20 seconds. And if the coyote didn't like it, I would switch to a different sound. And I would play that sound for 15 or 20 seconds. And if the coyote didn't like it, I'd play the next sound. And I may go through 10, I may go through 6, 8, 10, 12 sounds at some point. Now, over the years, roughly, you know, 20 times I've seen this, where I may get to sound 4, I may get to sound 7, I may get to sound 9, but whatever it is, that sound, something triggers different in that coyote, and they come running in, and I shoot that coyote. Now, that process there of, of me seeing that happen just a few select times over the years have 
has led me to develop this big theory about you know what I just talked about, the three categories and the four triggers and cover as many as possible. So basically what we're assuming is every time we sit down by, by playing different sounds, we have this same coyote that's sitting out there that we can't see. And the more sounds we play, the better chance we are of triggering that coyote to come to the call. So don't be afraid to switch up sounds. You know, a lot of times you may be sitting on stand or you may be thinking this right now in your, in your truck driving and say, that doesn't even make sense. Why would I go from a screaming chicken to a pup distress, uh, you know, back to a coyote fight, then to a breeding whimpers, then to a coyote howl, then back to lucky pecker, you know, every 30 seconds. You know, if I have a coyote that hangs up out there and, you know, the way I look at this, it, you know, coyotes don't think like you and I, you know, I think coyotes have a very short term memory. Like, uh, they, they forget very easily. I think their long-term memory is pretty good. Cause I think they, they, they sense pressure and they, they, you know, can be educated to some extent. Um, but I think short term like that, I think if you trigger that, I think they, they, they kind of lose of the fact that, Oh, why they were hung up in the first spot. And, you know, you're triggering something different in that coyote that, that causes them to want to come to the call. So keep that in mind uh, when you are switching up sounds. Don't don't feel like it's got to sound realistic. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys try to throw out a scenario, you know, maybe they'll start a stand with a few coyote howls and then they'll go into a, you know, a rabbit, you know, and then maybe into, you know, some sort of coyote fight after that. And, you know, they're kind of laying out that scenario that, hey, there was a coyote here and he howled. And then then all of a sudden now the coyote, you know, caught a rabbit and now maybe the coyote's getting in a, a fight with another coyote, you know, thinking that's that that coyote out there that they're hoping to call in really buys into that, you know. And I don't think coyotes necessarily, you know, can reason like that and understand that. But it sounds good to us. And, and I'll play sequences like that as well. But the bottom line is that sequence that I just talked about, you were playing sounds from all three categories. And if it works, it works, you know. So, um, you know, moral of the story is this. Don't be afraid to switch up sounds and, and keep them playing um, you know, anywhere from that three to six minute, when you switch up sounds, go from category to category, use that aggression scale, um, and think about that, consider that, um, you know, when you're playing based off the time of year you're calling, um, the, in the conditions and, you know, the pressure and everything else. And I'll guarantee you'll, you'll see more coyotes come to the call. Now, before I shut this, this episode down, I'm trying to go through my, my notes real quick here just to make sure I kind of covered everything, but, um, you know, it looks like, looks like that was about the gist of it. You know, we're right on schedule for about what I thought this would take to explain this, uh, particular concept, um, you know, of sound selections and time on stand and things like that. You know, now over the, you know, the course of these podcasts, you know, I'll relate back to some of this stuff and you'll, you, when you say, Hey, you know, you might be listening to a story at some point and I'll talk about playing this sound or that sound and then switching to that sound and, and then this this helps give you an idea of the thought process that I use um, when it comes to that, um, you know, and, and you'll be able to relate back to that. So don't be afraid to switch up sounds. Um, I'll guarantee you, you know, you're going to kill more coyotes this winter doing so. But that ends it. Uh, that's going to that's gonna end it for today. Um, you know, once again, want to thank Sig Sauer for sponsoring this episode. Um, got some great things. You know, this initial dump, hopefully you're kind of binging right now. Um, there's going to be five episodes dumped um, right now that you'll have access to. And then we're going to launch uh, an episode every two weeks um, for the remainder of the year. So um, I'm going to try to, you know, keep things on pace as far as, you know, episodes per the time of year. 
We're going to get into some stories. You know, I've been, I've been hunting a lot now. We're going to be hunting a lot, filming for The Last Stand. You know, I'm going to get guys on the show, and we're just going to talk about hunts and, and things like that and, and hopefully throw in a bunch of tips and tactics and things that are that, uh, you know, happen during these hunts that hopefully you can use. But uh, once again, thanks to Sig Sauer. Appreciate uh, Eastman's sponsoring this. Um, you know, they got, a, they got a bunch of stuff going on right now with Tag Hub. Um, I'm not a big game hunter at all, but, you know, I'm sure some of you out there, um, you know, probably hunt big game early in the fall and then, and then spend the rest of your winters hunting coyotes. So uh, check out uh, all the stuff they got going on Tag Hub. Right now they're, they're getting into the season of, of putting in applications and things for a big game season next year already. So uh, be sure and check that out on their website. If you'd like more information about myself, like I've said in the past, easiest thing to do is probably just go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. Uh, that has links to, to the YouTube show I run called The Last Stand or host called The Last Stand with Rick Paulette. Um, it'll have links to magazine articles I've written. Um, it'll have, uh, you know, just some other information about myself as well as links to all my social media accounts, really Instagram, which is just at Jeff Nimnick and that's G E O F F. Um, search that and you'll find it on Instagram. That's really where I put most of my content. So be sure and check that out as well. But that's all I got for now, guys. Appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.